You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. The year 1940, just as World War II was ramping up, reading a book on the Blitz on Britain, If you've ever heard of Eric Larson, he's my favorite author, writes historical narrative, so it's real events, but writes them in story form, Uh, writes a lot from the early 20th century, so newest book is called The Splendid and the Vile, if you want to check it out. But the year was 1940, and uh, just as World War II was ramping up, and in the fall of 1940 was called The Blitz on Britain, where the Germans would send hundreds of airplanes every single day to basically bomb with no target in sight but the city of London. And uh, for weeks, this went on. And it got to the point where, of course, you had to decide, am I going to sleep underground? Am I going to sleep at a railway station? Am I going to sleep in the subway system? Where am I going to sleep? Because every night, a bomb could be dropped on your house. And some people opted to be like, well, I'm just going to sleep in my own bed, and if I die, I'm going to die comfortably in my own bed, right? Rather than sleep somewhere else on the sidewalk or something. Uh, To try to find some sort of tranquility and escape from the war, parents opted to send their children, often unaccompanied by mom or dad, on on ships to Canada. One of those ships was called the City of Benares, where several hundred children, and most of them without their parents, were shipped over to Canada just to get away from the war that was going on in England at the time. And you had mom and dad with a relief. Yes, they had to say goodbye to their kids, but a relief that their children would be safe and at peace. They would escape the conflict. And a German wouldn't attack a ship full of kids. 600 miles out to sea of Great Britain, a German U-boat, which was a submarine, fired a torpedo, hit it straight on, sank, and several hundred little children died at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. You think, 600 miles, they're, they're safe. They're free. They're at peace. In the conflict of the world, they, they couldn't even escape in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Peace is elusive in our world. Statements such as, can't we all just get along, don't really seem to solve much, do they? It doesn't seem like that is going to fix the problem of peace. Can't we all just get along, or can't we all just love each other, the plethora of songs and Miss Universe pageants where good intentions are displayed and good wishes of worldwide peace. Do people actually say that? Or was that just from a uh, Miss Congeniality movie? I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was just from the Miss Congeniality. Isn't, San- Isn't that Sandy B, Sandra Bullock, Miss Congeniality? Yeah. I don't know if people actually say. I've never watched a beauty pageant, so I have no idea of what they wish for. But it seems like they wish for world peace. But good intentions like that seem almost so surface that 
it makes it worse. It almost seems more elusive than it was before, and it causes little comfort to our souls. Especially when conflict of the world, you consider what's going on in the Middle East right now, and you think, oh, we're safe from that. But are you safe from conflict? When it falls often directly onto your lap or enters your home when your marriage is not as peaceful as you thought it might be when you first got married, married? Your little family that got along so well all of a sudden doesn't seem to get along so well. Your workplace that, man, when you went in for that interview was like, man, this is amazing. And, and your boss says, we're just like family here. And several months in, you're like, oh, wow, everyone hates each other. That's, that's new revelation to me. Even at church, you know, a church that is going so well, as we learn from our series in Galatians, a couple of wrong decisions can lead to the church splitting apart and dividing amongst itself and people hating each other. Man, I've been to some meetings where you're like, woo, not a lot of love of Jesus happening in this meeting for this church. People yelling at each other, wanting what they want for things that honestly really don't matter that much. What happened? I thought church was to escape from the conflict of the world. And often that's where you find it, right? Our tendency, because of the conflict that we experience, is to run away, escape, or mask the problem. But like those children, conflict seems to always find you. And you ask, man, is peace even possible? That's why we need Jesus. Jesus says these words in the Upper Room Discourse in verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, and let not your hearts be troubled, or neither let them be afraid. My peace I give to you, but not as the world gives do I give. As we kind of dig into this passage, let me open in prayer. God, thank you so much for, for your word. We, we, we need to understand what is Jesus talking about when he says, my peace I give to you. When peace seems so elusive. How do you experience that sort of peace in a world that's full of conflict? A peace that happens in your soul. Lord, I pray that you would show us yourself. What peace exists in your heart that we can experience the same? I pray, Lord, that the, the, the wars that are going on in our heart now, Lord, we would not afraid to, here they are, God. This is what I'm struggling with. This is the conflict that I find myself with. And expose ourselves before you that we would be healed by your word. I I do pray that Restoration Church, that we would want to receive this kind of world-shaking peace that you, you do offer to us and yet is so difficult to find anywhere else. In fact, it's not found anywhere else. So, Lord, be with us as we, as we wrestle with this. I pray with this, for this in your name. Amen. Let me read this passage. John 14, 25 to 31. I've had you stand a lot. But let's stand and read this passage. John 14, 25 to 31. If you can stand, John, 20, John 14, 25 
31, shorter passage today, says this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is great now. That's kind of a hard saying, and we'll kind of dig into what is Jesus talking about there. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And rise, let us go from here. And as Jesus says, rise, I'm going to ask you to sit. You can sit if you'd like. So. Now, you think that's the end, because, but Jesus has three other chapters to go. Rise, let us go from here. But it's not until verse 18, verse one, chapter 18, verse 1, it says they actually went out and went to the Kidron Valley. What is going on? There's three more chapters, Jesus. And I don't know if this is just like the long Minnesota goodbye. You've heard of the long Minnesota goodbye, right? Joelle, is that a thing in New Zealand, the long Minnesota, or the Minnesota long goodbye? It's just a thing, right? If you've never heard of the Minnesota long goodbye, no, you've never heard of that before? You go to someone's house, and, and you, it, it takes like three hours for you to... You know, get to the point of you're saying you're going to leave, but then it takes three hours for you to actually get out the door. Uh, we had friends who was like, that was, that was them. It was like, you knew you had to say you're leaving because it's going to take a long time. They're going to follow you all the way to your car just for you to leave. That's the Minnesota Long Goodbye. In fact, there's nine stages of the Minnesota Long Goodbye. Did you know this? There's nine stages. The first stage is the, the whelp. Guess it's time to get going, right? You're having a good time. Maybe you play a board game. You're like, well, Kelton, I got to go. It's time to go. I've got a busy day tomorrow. Second stage, I actually wrote this down. It's the hugs. It's the hugs, right? You're going to hug. Thanks. Thanks for a good evening, everyone. The third stage is the walk to the door, and the hosts follow you to the door. The fourth stage is the doorway chat, right? The doorway chat. How is it going to go tomorrow? That could take a long. That could take anywhere from 10 minutes to two hours, the doorway chat. The fourth stage is the... We really should be going now, okay? The fifth stage is the second round of hugs at the door, okay? The second round of hugs at the door. The, the sixth stage is finally the hand on the doorknob. This, the eighth, I don't know if what I'm on, whatever it is. The seventh stage, eighth stage, the slow, the slow door open conversation. And finally, the ninth stage is the window wave, okay? That's the Minnesota long goodbye, Okay? <laughs> Those of you in Bible studies, man, it, I, love, I love people like that. You got to know, though. You gotta, it's like, if we got to leave by 9 o'clock, we got to start saying our goodbyes at 7 because it's going to take a long time to get out the door. Or, so I don't know if that's what's going on, and Jesus says, rise, let us go from here, and they're just talking, kind of got to put on the coat, the hat, and I'm going to go for three more chapters. I don't know. Or, I got a feeling it's this, because I got poked fun at several times this week, because I always say, oh, I got to wrap up, and then I go for 20 more minutes. Maybe that's just more Christ-like than you think it is, okay? Maybe I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. And I say, it's time to wrap up, and you've got to go for three more chapters like Jesus does. I don't know. Whatever it is, 
That's what's happening. We're not done yet, even though Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. But Jesus is leaving. And as we discovered last week, there's, Jesus introduces a person called the paraclete, which in our Bibles translate, at least my translation, ESV, is called the helper. And specifically, Jesus identifies this person as the Holy Spirit in this passage. That word paraclete or helper could be translated probably more accurately into a word called the advocate. It was used in a legal sense. It was someone who came to your defense to bear witness of the truth. You know, when you stand before a judge, it's someone who is like representing you to bear witness to the truth. So you didn't have to stand by yourself and get all your you know, thoughts jumbled up. This person bore witness to the truth and defended you in a sense. That's why the Holy Spirit's task in our lives isn't to bring confusion. And like I said last week, I think one of the greatest problems that we've had in our modern day church is when we've made the person of the Holy Spirit a, a, a place of confusion and debate. When the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring clarity to our lives. That was, that's his purpose. And two ways in that passage that that happens. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, says he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. And, he, and also, secondly, he will cause you to remember all that I've said. There's a fascinating passage back in John chapter 2, verse 22, where John, really, he's, he's detailing what happens as Jesus clears the temple. And he adds a editorial comment because Jesus says destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up but the Jews said to him it's taken 46 years to build this temple what do you mean in three days I'm going to raise it up and John adds a little editorial comment because no one everyone's like what is Jesus talking about until what happens the resurrection and John adds a little editorial and says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So there's many things that Jesus is talking here. They have no idea what he's saying until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And Jesus is raised from the dead. And they're like, oh, that's what all that meant. They had no idea. That's what the Holy Spirit still does too. He teaches us all things, and he causes us to remember what Jesus has said. He carries the message of the resurrection. So what keeping in step with the Spirit, it's always revealing the life of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. And I don't believe that this is coincidence. I really don't believe that this is coincidence. Jesus next is going to say, Peace I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. A few more verses in chapter 15, verse 10. He's also going to give them two other things. He's going to say, abide in my love. I give you my love. And then he's going to say the very next verse in 15, verse 11. I give you my joy. And I don't think it's coincidence that the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit are what? Love, joy, and peace. Those are three things. Jesus says, those are my things that I'm going to give you. You see what's happening here when the Spirit produces fruit in our lives? We are producing the characteristics of Jesus, the experience and life of Jesus. His love, His joy, 
his peace. And we can't lose those. This is of utmost importance. Because sometimes, you know, we hear the word love, we hear the word joy, we hear the word peace in the world, and we think, oh, well, they don't really understand, so we're going to be about something different. No, 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 we can't lose those, because those are absolute cornerstones to what it means to be, to be a follower of Jesus. We can't lose those things to the world. So when we experience love, joy, peace, we need to be very clear that what we're doing is, Jesus, show me what you mean when you say, I will give you my love, my joy, my peace. Because if we don't wrestle with those things, we don't constantly ask those things, what happens is we end up with a very cold, dry, and combative Christianity. That's why we need the Spirit to reveal Jesus to us to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Because in Him, they find their true fulfillment. They find their home. That's why whenever, and you probably heard me say this throughout the service, whenever we approach the throne of grace through the Spirit, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, search my heart, O Spirit of God. Show me and how I'm not understanding or not living out the fruits of the Spirit as revealed in Jesus. That's why the second thing is, first thing is, search my heart, O Spirit. Secondly, it's, Spirit, give me Jesus. Give me his love. Give me his joy. Give me his peace. Because that's where they find their home. And here's where this is true. In verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. I think our world has struggled to figure out the whole angle of what it means to be at peace. A lot of things that I could say. And one of which, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but I'm going to. I'm going to tackle it. One of the things that have been debated, and man, if you watch any political commentary or anything like that, you'll, you'll know that something that's debated in schools with parents is something called critical theory. Critical theory is a belief system trying to bring peace. That's what it is. Critical theory, whether you call it critical race theory, you could call it critical economic theory, whatever it is. Critical theory is an attempt to reconcile conflicts and bring about peace and equity that there are some people that are given more value and opportunity than others. Now, we tend to want to think that everything's really black and white, like either critical theory is all bad or it's all good. Like it's like from the pit of hell or it's the savior of mankind. Then it simplifies it for us. I don't think it's either of those things. It's like Harry, it's like Harry and Meghan, right? You, you probably split the room about Harry. Either they've done nothing wrong Right? Everything wrong has been done to them, or they're like the devil incarnate. Right? There's no in between when it comes to Harry and Meghan. No one cares about Harry and Meghan, clearly, because I'm getting no response from this. <laughs> clearly, Nikki and I talk about it quite a bit. So uh, they're probably somewhere in between. Is he unwise and she probably a bit of a narcissist? Sure, probably. Right? That doesn't mean you know, things that have been done to them, you can excuse. We tend to want to simplify everything. This is good, this is bad. I think there's some good things when it comes to critical theory, as in we recognize that there are peoples who are not given the same value as others. There are systems of oppression that have existed throughout history. I mean, think about in your own life, there are people that you give more value and more weight to other, than others. There are. Yeah, I, I think when I grew up, when I grew up, there were people, man, that I have to repent of. Me, like, wow, I did not, 
I completely ignore, like, there are people that I'm afraid of for no reason other than that I think that I should be afraid of them. That's what we define as the marginalized, or in our Christian terms, as Jesus termed it, the least of these. So it's good to recognize that. The weakness of critical theory, though, why I do not believe it's, a, it's, it's an ultimate solution to the problem of peace, it's a failure to see the human heart, the individual human heart. All problems exist up here. No problems exist in here, which is not true. It tends to ignore the individual human problem of greed and self-centeredness that regardless of what systems of power there are, exist in every human heart. That everyone is responsible for how they act and react to people around them. While I think we can make strides with other beliefs like this in our world, unless one reckons with their own heart and humbled before God to seek repentance... Peace will always remain elusive. Such as, is it possible for the marginalized in society to marginalize others, to get to the point where they marginalize others? Yeah, it's happened many times throughout history. One of which was called the French Revolution where the poor, it was economic, you could attribute critical theory to economic critical theory, where the poor were mistreated for years by the French aristocracy. But once power shifted, all of a sudden now people were not, those who had power over were mistreated, not given fair trials. You would hope that, you know, humanity would choose good, but they didn't. They mistreated them did horrible things to those who were given no defense. Something called the guillotine. Unless someone reckons with what's going on in your own heart, any other solution that exists up here is not going to solve the problem of peace. In fact, there's a very, very interesting passage of Scripture in Jeremiah 6. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it. Jeremiah said, if you want to go there, you can. You can fact check me if you want. Jeremiah 6, verse 13, where there's a pronouncement of judgment on Jerusalem. And it says this. It's fascinating, okay? I don't think I've ever paid attention to this passage of Scripture before, but it fits really well. Jeremiah 6, 13 says this. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Everyone. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed, the, this, listen to this, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. You hear what I'm saying? There are attempts to heal, but they will not ultimately cause healing. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a deep, like a deep wound. It helps. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not going to solve ultimately the problem. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. 
Basically, they have not humbled themselves before God and sought repentance for their own heart. See what I'm saying? Fascinating. See, we think war is the greatest impediment to peace. No. War is an occurrence of something far deeper, a far deeper problem to peace, which is what? The greed of the human heart. That's the problem. Existing, not up here, existing here. The greed of the human heart. An insatiable self-centeredness, which I think might be a lot harder to solve than war itself. That's why we need to see Jesus. What does Jesus mean when he offers peace? And how does it differ uh, from how the world offers peace? Before I zero in on the word, I want to look at the next verse. So I'm going to zero in on the word peace. But look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. I don't, you got Bible? Look at verse 28. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Because this, when I first read, I'm like, what is he talking about? Verse 28 says this. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and will come to you. Yeah, we've heard that several times, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us once again. And we, we are not happy about this. In fact, we are sorrowful. Our hearts are troubled because you're leaving. We have no idea what's going to happen. And he says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. What? If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father's greater. Like, Nikki and I, when we were dating, I would count down the days till I could see her again because I, le- I went out to the Maritimes to go to school. She stayed here. She was in Hamilton for school. I'm not sure how I would have interpreted because I was a blubbering mess every time we had to say goodbye. Right? I was crying. Like, when am I going to see you next? Stuff like that. That's, that's how our goodbyes are. And I don't know how I would react if as soon as she turns around, she's like, yes, yeah, finally, I'm glad to see him go. What? Rejoice to see you go? What is Jesus talking? I'm, I'm not sure if I would interpret that as love. If you would have loved me, you would have rejoiced. <laughs> Uh, I think the point is this. I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. See, what Jesus is doing is giving us a snapshot here of how Jesus saw and interpreted peace in himself. When he says the Father is greater, I mean, there's a whole bunch of debate about, like, this is where Jesus is not really God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the Father is greater, greater than I because throughout his life he submitted himself. He was sent by the Father and submitted himself to the will of the Father. Think about this. Throughout his life, Jesus was tempted with greed every step of the way. You know, when the devil, tempt, like when devil tempted Jesus, they tempted him with greed. Look, look, you can have this. Just say the word. Snap your fingers and you can have what you want. And then you will have peace. You're hungry? Get what you, snap, like, turn it into bread. And then, you, then you'll be at peace. Why are you struggling? Why are you putting yourself through this? Why are you following your, why are you putting yourself, like, just cast yourself down from this high hill, and then angels will catch you. Like, look of over all the land that I, I will give you all of this now. You'll be at peace. That's how we think peace is, right? We want, we want, the, we want the greed of the human heart fulfilled. We want what we want. That's not how Jesus interpreted peace. Jesus saw his peace as existing in relationship to his Father. 
Why rejoice? I think there's no other answer that we can give than simply this. Jesus wanted to be with his Father. Why rejoice? Jesus like, if you love me, you'd be happy for me because I get to go back to my Father. I want to be with my Father. I love you guys. But peace for me exists in relationship to my Father. I want to go to Him. That was peace. And He could walk through turmoil by submitting to His Father's will because He knew He eventually was going to go home and be with His Father. He belongs to Him. And I know that seems like, well, this is God, Aaron. Aaron we're talking, that seems like a very human thing. But God, I want to remind you, God is not theory. He's not concept. He's not idea. He's not force. He's a person. In fact, he's three persons, specifically. Existing in relationship to each other. That are not just just. They're angry at wrongdoing. That aren't just right. They're good. Now Jesus invites you into that same peace. That's what he means. It's my peace I give to you. And it's not going to be getting what you want. I could have had everything, anything I wanted. But my peace existed in relationship to my father. That was my peace. Jesus invites you into that same peace that he feels. The Christian is always invited into the life of God that already exists in relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not in deity, but in experience of that character. You know, it's like when mom and dad, they hug each other and show love. Who wants to be a part of it? All of a sudden, sometimes when Nikki and I are hugging or something like that, all of a sudden what will happen is we'll feel like, you know, little little arms like wrap around your you, kids they want to be a part of that same love right I feel like that's kind of the same picture it's like the love that we experience I'm inviting you to be in that same kind of love that same kind of peace this is our purpose it's not love better Aaron do better Aaron it's come sit on, a, on my lap be at peace. The word for peace here is connected to you know, the Old Testament concept of something called shalom. I cannot do justice to this. It's a beautiful picture, though. Shalom was a greeting that meant peace, like peace be to you. They would say shalom. But also shalom representing something far greater, a reality, a future hope that everyone was hoping and longing for, where all wrong was made right, every person was free and could enjoy and rest. And the description of shalom, that reality, was peace. And that's what the longing of the Messiah was. So when Pax Romana, Roman peace, came into the scene and obtained and maintained that order by the sword, what was everyone thinking had to happen? Well, we need a bigger sword to defeat Romans so that we can now bring in the kingdom of peace. What they didn't realize was this. They had a much bigger problem than that. That conflict didn't just exist up here. 
Where did conflict exist? Right here. That I need to have peace with my God. And that's what Jesus did for me. Peace was won, not by a bigger sword, but by an innocent man who suffered and died to bring peace to your soul between you and God, as Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. We don't just do good things as a church. We look to our God because the greater problem exists right in here. And I've got to do business. I've got to reckon with my own salvation before God. Before I can seek peace anywhere else. Okay. I've got to end, right? Yeah, I do have to end. And I won't take 20 minutes or three more chapters. Because we got to take care still okay two things two things if you have that perspective that I, I, I that that peace with God brings peace to my soul and regardless of what's going on in my life that is the battle that is being fought life with God is a gift to enjoy it's not yours to claim at the core of greed in the human heart is a life that to be won to be claimed but not given to you and I think if you have this view that your life is your own and you can claim it as it is, then everything in your life is like, I have, to, I have to get that in my life in order to experience peace. And it's really hard to enjoy things when you feel like you have to claim them as your own. Rather than gifts given to you, including your family. But my life is a gift given to me by God and therefore I can actually enjoy it. Secondly, but more importantly, peace isn't defined by your, man, you, by your circumstances. You might think, Aaron, nothing in my life is at peace. But peace needs to be defined by your place with God. That's why Jesus, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. If you looked at every part of Jesus' life, you would be like, Jesus, you're not at peace. You're about to be crucified. What kind of peace is that? And yet he says, I'm at peace. We would say, Jesus, you certainly are not at peace. And many were about to leave him. And then you think, what was all that for? Like, what was all the work? Man, can you imagine I wrestled with this restoration church? Like, what was all that work for if, you know, in a couple years it comes to not? Like, Jesus, everyone leaves you. How are you at peace with that? I love this. I love this verse. Jesus says this in verse 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. He's got nothing on me. Okay, why? That the world may know that I love the Father. You know, all of the, like we focus a lot, like all of the amazing things, like the world-shattering, earthquaking thing that Jesus did on the cross. <laughs> the main reason is because he loved his Father. Like the, as far-reaching and world-shaking as what Jesus did was, the main reason was shockingly intimate. And I know this world is crazy. I get it. And sometimes I don't get it because you, you, many of you are going through things I've never been through, and 
I can't even say that I get it. I know the world is crazy, but peace is found in something shockingly intimate. Shockingly intimate. Yeah. I am going to end because there's more I can say, but let me pray and then we're going to take communion. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. As we wrestle with the concept of peace, search me, O God, know my heart, and show me Jesus that I may have the same peace that he has. You invite us now into the life of God to experience the same love, joy, and peace that you experience with your Father. Oh God, the same turmoil that you went through in far greater quantity, many of our people are going through now. Desertion, despair. Lord, may they now come to your table to experience peace in their soul. That they will never be let go of. That they can never lose. Like Jesus says, the rule of the world is coming, you got nothing on me. Because I know where my peace exists. And no one can take that from me. May the same thing be said about my heart. It's got nothing on us if we know where our peace exists. It can never be taken away. I pray for this in your name. Amen.